0: Well oh, it's finally December and we are one month away from a completely new decade. Jeez man. Where has the time gone? I wanna go back. <laughs> In the Withers Puppet me Chuck D bring the noise. Podcast Network. I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, everybody. Hope you've all had a good week. Happy December, everybody. Happy last month of 2019. Happy last month of the 2010s. Boy, it's been a decade. I tell you, um, I'm not gonna do that kind of thing. Well, just you know, talk about the whole decade and stuff like that. I'm, just, I'm it's just, it's just sinking in right now at the moment in this moment in time. So. That's kind of where I'm at, but um, yeah, it's been a, it's been an okay week for me. Very productive. Um very happy about that, uh, and yeah, so yeah, I can't really I can't really say too much. It's been it's been very you know, everything I've been wanting to do, I've been what I've been doing. So you know, and it's it's all good. I've been I've been busy, and uh, yeah, I can't really. Co- <laughs> I can't really complain. There's been there's been many weeks in this past year where I've just been not busy and it's been annoying me. So you know I can't really complain about having stuff to do, which is good. So, uh, yeah. No, other than that, let's get into. Might as well start into the show. Just jump right in. Uh, format is poor. We begin. Uh, we have the email. We have the Twitter. We have the IG. We also have the Facebook as well. We also have the Five E Community Discord. Uh, check the link down below if you want to join that. Uh, constantly, well, just trying to like a, you know create a community. You know, trying to create a hip hop community, talk about hip hop as we as you, as uh, some people like to do. And if you and if you're one of those people, join. Just just join. It's, it's, it's all it is. Just click a link. Boom, you're done. Create an account. Boom, you're done, and you're there. You're, you're chatting with me. You're chatting with a few other people. It's, it's cool. I want to start cultivating. Other than that, yes. All right, let's get into the show. Let the beat drop, and let's get into it. In a week where, uh, former South Yorkshire Police Chief David Duckenfield found not guilty of manslaughter in Hillsborough trials. I mean, yeah, it's been, it's been how many decades now? And people are getting not guilty calls now. It's just, uh, it's just a bit, it's just a bit sad. And, you know, like I said, uh, it's, it's, Grenfell's gonna be the exact same thing, where it's just gonna be decades of people talking about it. Uh, some people are gonna get put on trial, and they may or may not get done for their for their you know clear crimes of their having their hand in that particular uh, event. Um, and it's kind of the same thing here, where you know there was clearly some negligence there in terms of policing. And now the f- former police chief of South Yorkshire is found not guilty of manslaughter. I'm like, so did people not die? Did they just trip over themselves? You know, it just doesn't. It, it, it doesn't really make sense, so um, I don't know, but anyway, um, speaking of other crimes, uh, two people are killed in a terrorist attack at London Bridge, um, it's, been a, it's been a lot of talk about that in the past week, for sure, and um, you know, it's obviously because we're in an in a, in a election time of uh, people, of politicians going around the country, chatting shit, um, it's now that polit- Particular event has now been politicized, and um, I forget the one, of the names, the 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 uh, the Cambridge University graduate uh, that died, and um, and uh, people who knew him were saying like uh, he would be angry and like uh, and uh, the fact that his death is being politicized like this, and yeah, you know, you know I, I completely understand this. Um, to if literally the night, uh, the day after the attack happened. Uh, you know, obviously, in the, during the during uh, that particular day, uh, politicians were doing the right thing and going like, you know, and saying their particular speeches and all that spiel and going, you know, so it's it's good that this has been you know contained. Uh, feel sorry for the families who lost loved ones. Da 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 da. And then the next day, they just started politicizing everything, going like, this is this is why we need more police, and this is why we need more um, I don't know, less uh, harder prison sentences and stuff like this. It's just. It's just exhausting. It is. It's just exhausting to think about. Um, and that's just kind of depressing on that front. But anyway, continuing on to more bullshit. Uh, train fares are going to rise by two point seven percent. So y'all saw a um a TV uh, a little TV bit about it about this particular news. item. and uh, I forgot I forgot the dude, but like I think he I think he heads up like British Rail or something like that, so, so someone or other like that, and he was going like. You know, we use all the money for to improve the railways, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, are you, though? Are you, though? Because the amount of money it takes to travel from one place to another in the UK, and then you look at somewhere in Europe where you can go from one, literally take a rail from one country to a completely different one, and it's just as cheap as me going to London. And that's, and that's like, uh, (laughs) and that's like 50 miles away. You know what I mean? It just doesn't make sense. It's, there's, there's no correlation there. You're taking all this money. You're raising fares constantly. And, you know, trains are being cancelled sometimes, you know. I I dread to think what the train uh, system is like up north, because I did uh, for a little bit. And, you know, obviously that was a very limited experience. Um, It was only for a day. But even in that, I was just like... Well, even for a weekend, actually, I went to Leeds and then uh, Lincoln and then around that area. And, you know, I was just like... Everything's a bit everything's a bit on edge. Everything's a bit on ice, you know what I mean? Everything's on a tightrope. You never, you never know if your train's going to arrive, you know what I mean? It's just kind of weird. Um, it's a little bit less in the south, but even in that, it's just... It's not on. It's not on. And you're raising, te- you're raising more fares. It's just... It's just a bit silly. Like most season tickets, going to be risen by about a hundred quid, uh, hundred and fifty quid in that area. So it's just, it's just silly. There's no, there's no. We need to see numbers because it, the correlation is not there at the moment. Uh, UEFA exp- <laughs> this is great. The UEFA expects the 2020 Euros to be racism free. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how that is going to happen? Tell me how, in any way, that's going to happen. Because we've talked about this on the show, you know, if you've listened to the show, you've now talked about a uh, particular um, Eng- sp- uh, specific England games. Obviously, Bulgaria won a few m- a couple of months ago, and Montenegro one uh, earlier in the year, I think. You know, it, uh, then they clearly didn't do shit, and shit's never, shit's uh, never gone down. Nothing's happened. It's uh, like slaps on the wrist to the f particular FAs of that country, and then nothing happens. Like I said before, with Bulgaria and also Montenegro. If you want to do proper sanctions, if you want to actually make actual ground in eliminating racism in football, ban the countries from being in tournaments. Then they'd be forced to fix up. Then they'd be forced to fix up their fans, all right? And, you know, even in that said, football can't... I, don't, I, don't, I personally don't believe football is that powerful on a national level, where you where the FA of whatever country can say, stop being racist at our games, you know? your people are racist, it happens, your people are racist, and even in this country, I don't want to absolve our country of it, because even in um, the recent Chelsea West Ham game, I think there was some like homophobic slurs or something like that, or something, or some sort of slurs, and I'm just like, it's silly, it's silly, and the fact that the Euros, UEFA plans to be racism free, it, it, it doesn't make sense, you can't one, you can't stop people from being racist. Two, if you really want to try, you're not doing, you're not exhausting every avenue. You really aren't, so I don't really understand where you're going to go from that. S- most delusional statement of the of, this, of the decade, I'll tell you. Uh, Billy D. Williams is gender fluid. Um, weird, really odd beer news, but I just found it quite interesting. I was just <laughs> just, a, just an actor that's been, you know, he's known for obviously being Lando in uh, Star Wars, but um, he just comes out and goes, I'm gender fluid. I'm like, Okay. Big up Billy D. So yeah, there's that. Uh, Lionel Messi wins a, a record sixth Ballon d'Or. Uh, Kamala Harris drops out of the Democratic primary, and on Jay Z's fiftieth birthday, he blesses us all that don't have title or don't want to get title like me, uh, and has put all his discography on Spotify and Apple Music. Finally, 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 all this, all these years of waiting, and we finally have. Chasey's the the discography on Spotify is glorious. I'm so happy. I've put like three tracks my regular rotations. Been spinning those today, and it's glorious. It's glorious. It's, I'm I'm so I'm I'm happy. But um, you know, even even that said, uh, he he could easily just yank it again. So I'm just gonna be happy with it now. And if it goes, it goes. If it stays, it stays. You know, I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna just gonna roll with the punches. But anyway. Uh in terms of topics, let's get into some topics. We have uh, one life, uh, two music and one film or TV. And uh I guess we should start with um let's start with music, because uh, this I find I found very, very fascinating. Um so the article I'm gonna get into is uh it dropped in July uh twenty eighteen, actually last year. But it's it was uh, shared by um, it was shared by a rapper songwriter no name, who is a, a Chicago-based um, black uh, rapper, so obviously songwriter and all that. And she is not happy. Um, she's not happy because uh, she went on a bit of a, a several day uh, throughout the throughout last week, um, just just dipping in and out of uh, talking about uh, well, one thing her book club. Which, um, if you're in America, get into that because it looks like a really good thing to get into. Um, but also her just career in particular, and uh, more specifically her fan base. So there are um, there are you know there are some artists about where they are you know they're they they're black and they're you know um, of a of uh, uh, people of color, right? But for some reason they just have a really really wide White fan base, and I don't know No Name's fan base. Um, I've only been listening to her f- this past year, to be honest. Uh, well, yeah, well, on and off, on and off for the past couple of years, right? I know who I've known who she is for a couple of years, but um, I don't know a fan base like that, you know. Um But she has recently been uh, going off uh, talking about white audiences and the fact that she doesn't want to appease to white audiences, and let me let me let's get this straight um you know you can look up particular her tweets uh, on uh, i think consequence of sound have uh, have, have uh, 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 logged all of them uh, i think most of them are deleted now so if you want to go look them up look them up but uh, yeah she talks about white audiences uh, she talks about uh, potentially quitting rapping because of that kind of thing and also you know uh how um uh having y- most most black rappers and black artists in America would actually love to say I don't care for my white audience and stuff like that. But obviously, white people are the majority in uh, demographically in the U.S. So you know if you're not you're not popping if you don't have white fans. If if that's you know what I mean, so you have to if you're going to be in the charts, if you're going to be you know big in America and also in the U.K. as well. Um, and any European country and uh, Australia as well, uh, you need some. You need white fans. You know, you you can't you can't have a fan base strictly of your people of color, other people of color, and uh, be number one the charts. It's impossible. It's it's near to impossible. Okay, but uh, no name done with it. Um, you know, she's a, she's you know, in terms of music, she she has great music and uh, obviously content wise, it's very it's very black, it's very pro black. Um, but for some reason, white people enjoy it. And it's the same with someone like JPEG Mafia. um, same with, uh, someone like Frank Ocean, more, more, more towards, um, Frank Ocean just being Frank Ocean, but, um, obviously he has, uh, a, a lot of, um, uh, content about love and, uh, I guess, uh, blackness in some ways, um, in more of an abstract sense, not as, uh, in your face as a no name or a, uh, or a JPEG Mafia. but they have white fans and uh i wanted to get into this so this particular article here is by taylor crumpton uh, via paper dropped in uh 20 uh, 18th of july 2018 right it's called uh, have white people stolen rap concerts too now no name retweeted this and uh i I gave it a read and i think i've actually given it a read before and i've actually i've heard it been read before um and uh i just found it i just found it very interesting and i think it's uh It adds to the wider conversation here. So, let's get into this. Uh, As my friends and I pulled into the venue for Top Dog Entertainment's championship tour... God, they should have really done a UK leg. That would have been so amazing. Just all the TDE people there. Oh, that would have been... I would have paid mad money for that. Uh, The record label's first co-headlining concert featuring I, such as Kendrick, uh, Scissor, Schoolboy Q, I thought to myself, I ain't never seen so many white people in my whole entire life, and I'm from Texas. The masses of young white attendees, uh, all in designer gear, illustrated the overall mood and climate for the TDE tour stop. Uh, Although the show is located in Washington DC, also known as Chocolate City, given that 47% of its residents are black, the composition of attendees reflected exactly which communities have access to attend a concert outside of the metro limits on a weeknight. I was reminded of Beyonce's headlining performance at this year's Coachella, where she invoked the imagery of southern blackness in front of an overwhelming white crowd, and in my, and my place in this predominantly white space, although I was there to witness Kendrick Lamar and TD roster, arguably the most conscious mainstream rapper of this generation. Throughout the Kendrick concert, I witnessed uh, the disconnection between white audi- white attendees and the music, the blatant verbal disrespect when artists performed their deep cuts instead of their top 40 singles, and the lack of attention for opening artists on the roster like Isaiah Richard, Sir uh Lance uh Lance Skywalker. Yet when Kendrick and Skullboy Q performed any song with nigger in it, uh white attendees shouted the word as if their <laughs> as if were their birthright. Uh the amount of privilege to, as a white person, verbalize the N-word at a rap concert in a predominantly black city is a representation of power. A privilege that absolves its users from the responsibility of saying a term representative of societal hate and violence. As evidenced by the white girl who said the N word twice on stage with Kendrick Lamar at the Hangout Festival in Alabama, white people possess the ability to disrespect Black people's humanity in front of their very eyes. That privilege exists because Black attendees cannot hold the, their N word rapping white counterparts accountable. Who would believe Black attendees overprivileged? Uh, who would believe Black attendees overprivileged white attendees? What black person would want to be told that their claims emerge from feelings of sensitivity, over exaggeration, or political correctness? Followed by the classic response, I said it with an A and not the ER, as if the removal of two letters erased the historical implications of the word from the American consciousness. My experience in America is one of acquisition of property, uh, and the latest commodity to go is hip hop. Lamar's genius for the ability to describe complexities of the African-American experience in the United States has contributed to historical and cultural shifts throughout the world over the perceptions of blackness, evidenced by his award-winning albums from the earliest musical projects Section 80, Cookie Mad C, and Grammy award-winning Paper Butterfly to the Pulitzer Prize-awarded Damn. And and the narratives on Lamar's albums uplift the voices of marginalised black youth impacted by the stresses of state violence. Police brutality, mental health, mass incarceration and the impacts of Reagan era legislation that targeted low income black communities like his hometown Compton, California are all topics to be found on any Kendrick album alongside hits like Humble that have brought him to a level of mainstream success and fame considered rare for a conscious rapper. These messages validated, uh, validated sections of my experiences including being raised in a low income household, the continuous hustle to reach financial security for your family and fighting not only to survive but be alright. Kendrick's lyrics are also complemented by the artistry of TD's full roster of entertainers. There's TD's first lady, Scissor, who does whose desire as a black woman of wanting to be a quote-unquote normal girl can at times mean uh, erasing the parts of self that do not align with white standards of beauty, and also J-Rock, who constant, whose constant striving to win is reflected reflective of the community black people share, an unspoken agreement of communal uplifting that originates from relationships built through generations of oppression. Hip-hop is, after all, the black American songbook. Woven into uh, its melodies of eight, 808 beats and 16 bars are the stories of people defining their space and place in a nation built off social, built off the social socio-cultural horrors of their enslavement. In the only beginnings of the genre, the music was utilized as an instrument of truth, where young black men like NWA could describe their experiences to the world when the media said otherwise. Contemporary artists like Kendrick, J. Cole, Vic Mensa stem from this tradition and incorporate its messaging into their music and create projects that possess the ability to influence generations of communities about what it means to be black. The black experience in the United States has historically been commodified and sold for profit at the expense of abandonment and pain. From the white entertainers in blackface singing uh, to singing the N-word in rap songs, the fetishized Petishization fetishization of the black experience by white people is reminiscent of the larger social and uh, power dynamics in this nation. That is, structures that give young white people access to financial means needed to indulge in the pleasure of hearing Kendrick perform his masterpieces live over their black counterparts who lack the same generational wealth and job opportunities due to the barriers that restrain low-income ca- low black youth who supported hip-hop's transition from underground to mainstream in the first place. We live in a reality where the black communities who gave uh, life to a artistry are then not awarded a seat at the table of prominence. Moving forward, I'm thankful for the inter- inten- intentionality of black centre musical spaces such as Broccoli City Festival and Afropunk, which def- celebrate the diversity of black experiences through the inclusion of the communities who built them at, a, at, a, at an accessible price. I'll always love hip-hop and the magic of a good concert filled with unreleased freestyles and a fire 16. But now I have to ask, quote, what's the cost of me attending this concert? Is it going to be a continuous struggle of young white boys groping my ass and white girls asking me to twerk while I remain calm, <laughs> while I have to remain calm as, a white, as white people scream nigger for hours, just out of pure privilege? En route home from the TD tour, I thought about the words to describe my feelings of loneliness and rejection, from the pro- predominantly white concert space. But then I turned on track seven to Pimp a Butterfly to let Kendrick remind, Kendrick remind me that black people and hip-hop are going to be all right. So, you know, and that's that a kind of breaks it down in terms of uh, the overall sense of what hip-hop is about, obviously, and how it's kind of just changed in terms of audiences. You know, you can't... There's, there's not many... You know, in the, it reminds me of uh, in the 2000s... Uh, in New York, there were many underground artists that were trying to just, like, you know, get their freestyles off and, you know, film it and, you know, just do their, t- and do their things. Be artists, right? Be rappers, you know? And then the uh, the government in New York, uh, the governing body in New York, basically shut it down and said you can't rap in parks no more because, you know, tourism, scaring away the tourists, da 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 da, da don't, aka, don't want a bunch of black people uh, rapping in a circle, (laughs) Uh, uh, ganging up in a circle and rapping to each other in a public park, you know, so if you can't, so here's the thing, right, so if you can't do that, right, if you can't rap in public, if you can't do your things in public like that, if you can't display your art in public, right, in public spaces, right, okay, fine, go somewhere else, okay, go go find an inside place, where most of them did, they went to, you know, basements and did it from there, um, same same way in the UK, where, like, you know, you used to have stuff like boiler rooms and stuff like that, it's inside, right, but then, you, even with that, if you had something like boiler rooms in the UK, for example, then you'd have the government saying, like, you can't do this at a certain time, after 11pm, you can't do it, right, so when can we do it? You know, and now get now. Now you have now you have to be inside. You can't be outside. Now you have to be inside, and you have to be done by eleven p.m. Right? And then you, and then it comes to concerts, where concerts are obviously, um, in many cases, and t- especially festivals, are. Uh, you know, they 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 can be pricey. They can be pricey in some in some cases. Not all, not all of them, but most of them can be pricey. You know, the big names are pricey. Yeah, you know, I'm never going to Glastonbury, and I don't care because Glastonbury's not my vibe. But, um, but even in that said, if I wanted to go to Glastonbury, it'd be a very hard task to get that done. But um, say if um, say if like there was a black version of Glastonbury, right? Okay, say if there was. Um, just just imagine with me, right? So it's been there for however long Glastonbury Glastonbury's been around, so 70 years or whatever, something like that, um, over 50 years. Okay. Um, you have all. You used to have all the great black artists come through, and uh, you still get all the black artists coming through, right? It's still that kind of concert. There's still that kind of festival where it's all black, and you know, it's, it's people come from all corners of the earth, um, African artists, um, Caribbean artists, they're all coming through, right? And then you, and then the prices start rising, right? Who's gonna be able to go there? Middle class white people, right? Logically, yeah. Most of them will. And there'll be there, you know there'll be some there'll be some um there'll be some black people around, of course, you know, they they try trying, trying to make that their event of the year where people where you know there's there's many there's plenty of times where people save up for that one thing in the year. Some people do it in terms of, like, uh, comic cons, like conventions. Some people do it for festivals. Uh, Some people do it for travelling. You know, everyone does that. They save up for that one thing, that one event that they do every year, and they want to do that thing. If you wanted to do that, you wouldn't be able to. And even when it comes to Black Eyre, sometimes it's just um, hard hard for them, it's hard to get to them. Um, especially if they've blew, blown up. Now, if we're talking about someone like No Name, where um, you know she's not popping like Kendrick, you know, but even that case, that would make it more. If it's more accessible to black audiences, and it's even more accessible to white audiences, you know, it trickles down like that. It really does. It trickles down like that. If they can afford to go to Glastonbury or whatever, or how, whatever fest, whatever big festival you want to name, right? If they want to go there, they can also go to a no-name concert, wherever it is, you know. And if they want to, they can. So, and you know, this is this isn't a, this isn't a conversation on fandom and just like saying, ooh, but I'm a fan of them stuff like that, and obviously the M word is a conversation I've had before. You know, it's just straight up. The eyes, the black eyes, do not make it for you to sing. They don't. They they don't make it for anyone to sing. Technically, in that moment when they're writing the song, are they thinking of you? No, they're not thinking of you. And you're an idiot if you think if you think they do. You're overprivileged if you think they do. They're thinking of me as they're writing this. No, that'd be silly. Stop being a sheep like that. It's, just, it's silly. But um, yeah, I think I've made my point. Um, there's a, a thing. There's a uh, there's and there's a lot of times where like uh, even with uh, when I went to Ocean Wisdom recently, um, you know, he, sa- he, he, he says the N word a couple of times, um, but I, f- I don't think I managed to clock people saying it honestly because there were just so many fucking mosh pits about. Literally <laughs> every chorus is just fucking mosh pit. So you know, in that kind of case, I guess cool doesn't really matter, and I guess Ocean Wisdom, in terms of, like, a hip-hop space, um, he's not like, um, he, he, he's not like, a, oh, I'm trying to think of a, uh, he, he's not like a no-name, you know what I mean, so, so like, ultra-black, you know, he's, he's mixed race like me, to be honest, you know what I mean, so he's not gonna be talking about that kind of stuff, he's not gonna be talking about, like, fight the power kind of stuff, he just raps, he's got bars, he's a he's an absolute fucking beast on bars, but, um, you know, and white people like that. I know many white people that love hip hop as as much as I do. They probably have more experience than I do. Many of them do, but they still know that they still know where the line is, and that's the problem with many young white hip hop fans. Um, they just see in this age where they have the streaming sites and they can listen to it whenever they want, and then they go to their concerts and they think they can just shout out whatever the fuck they like. It's just not. On. You know, you need to. it needs to. There needs to be some education on that. And um, it's, it's more about um, just wait till the day you get slapped in the face about it, to be honest, because <laughs> one day if you keep saying that, somebody's going to slap you. <laughs> somebody's going to give you a big fat slap in the face, and you're going to deserve it. But you probably won't even notice it, because it's like, oh, but it, I love him. Is he nice? It's not the point, guy. That's not the point, Chad. Fucking Chad. So we move on to, um, well, let's do the other music topic. Since we're talking about Kendrick, we might as well talk about Kendrick <laughs> uh, more in, in more detail. Um, so this is uh, a DJ, DJ Booth article uh, dropped recently by Yo Phillips, and uh, it's called Kendrick is Bound for Hollywood. Now, I've been thinking about this for ages. I've been thinking about it for ages, thinking about uh, just, like, how... How has Kendrick, like, not got a burgeoning like, uh, uh, film career yet? Maybe it's just because he... Has turned stuff down. He may he may have gone mad offers. We don't know about that. But I'm just wondering, like, how is Power the only show he's been on on a prominent basis? You know, because um, when because when that happened, people were people were. I was genuinely thinking about getting into Power again. I didn't, but I was thinking about it. I just saw the scenes on Instagram, to be honest. But um, yeah, he looked good. He looked very good. And I'm I'm just wondering in terms of like his music, obviously. Um, he's very, uh, it's very, it's very method. I talked about this on DITV this week, uh, talking about The Pimble Butterfly, our decade of the year, uh, album of the decade. If you want to go listen to that, go listen to that. Um, but, um, yeah, I just, I just find it interesting that he hasn't actually got into acting yet. Um, you know, maybe, maybe down the line he will, but, um, I, I just found it fascinating that he hasn't actually been given, like, a you know, a big role on a, on a big film or anything like that. Um, but anyway, let's get into this particular article because I find it very fascinating. There is a split second of silence during uh, Kendrick Lamar's 2013 BET cipher. The pause is quickly filled with a reverbing clap of a perfect high five, arguably the decade's best. Ha ha, jokes on you, high five. Kendrick raps before turning toward uh, fellow TV member schoolboy Q, whose arm, whose arm is precisely raised on Q as if possessed by a higher power. The hands connect like magnets born to collide, and then, seamlessly, without expression, Kendrick turns to the camera and utters two words, I'm bulletproof. The sly theatric doesn't stall Kendrick. The Pulitzer Prize-winning MC neither fumbles his flow or ruins the rhythm. He displays the composure of a performer who never forgets about the audience. Each movement is for their eyes, as each lyric is for their ears. Uh, Kendrick is not just rapping, he is there to entertain. Unlike celebrities who remain engaged in times of stillness, Kendrick is discreet—a shadow instead of a superstar. He's neither seen on social media nor heard from in public, not until he's ready to be seen. For the good kid from Compton, California, isolation is only broken by song. When Kendrick sin, sings hip-hop lessons, but to fully experience Kendrick Lamar, one must uh, one must watch, not just listen. Think back to Kendrick's 2014 SNL performance of the single I. Think back to his eyes and the depths of their blackness, the same shade of midnight black eye contacts that Method Man wore on the cover of sophomore album to 2000, Judgment Day. Think back to his hair and the puff of his half-finished braids. Uh, What is most striking, though, is Kendrick's body language. He ticks in sporadic bouts and dances like a man possessed, even the way Kendrick raps is unlike the recording. On that stage, with a stellar backing band, the record came to life anew. Although I has only two verses, only has two verses, Kendrick adds a third from Mama, a song that was unreleased at the time. The verse required uh, all the air in his lungs, but Kendrick created a breathless launch of words. They end with one final screeching, survive! The building intensity explodes in those last seconds, a war cry of jazz, funk and hip-hop soul. I always felt like God used me as a vessel, Kendrick told Zane Lowe on his Beats 1 radio show pro, radio program on Apple Music in a 2017 interview, a sentiment he also shared with Rick Rubin in 2015 during their interview for GQ's Epic Conversation series. This mantra explains why, on stage, Kendrick's, Kendrick Lamar seems uh, present but distant, like himself, but with someone else entirely. From that perspective, the Aftermath signee is kindred to actors and actresses who are vessels to scripts like he, is a vessel, uh, like he is a vessel to the songs. Quote, When I hear you, I don't always know it's you. You seem to inhabit so many different characters with your voice, Ruben tells Kendrick during their hour-long Q&A. This viewpoint is similar to French philosopher Albert Camus, who in chapter 2 of The Myth of Sisyphus wrote the following, They speak in every gesture. They live only through shouts and cries. Thus, the actor creates his characters for display. The Myth of Sisyphus is a 1945 collection of philosophical essays translated to, in, to English by 1955 in 1955 by Professor Justin O'Brien. The drama section of Chapter Two, "The Absurd Man," is dedicated to actors. Quote, I'm not, I'm not saying that actors in general um, obey this impulse, that they are absurd men, but their fate is an absurd fate. Yeah, but their fate is an absurd fate, which might charm and attract a lucid heart. O'Brien writes a quote that yet again speaks to the actor within the artistry of Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick doesn't seem uh, doesn't create to doesn't create different characters like Tyler the Creator or Donald Glover. Nor does he reprise old versions of himself. The acclaimed superstar doesn't make sequels, nor to no two albums the same, no two performances are alike. Kendrick is a natural-born actor, but beneath the rapper's gift of gab lies a convincing talent. Is that not the quality of an actor? Are they not the transmitters of identities through physical uh, representation? Let's ask Camus. Quote, A mime of the eph- ephemeral, uh, the actor trains and perfects himself in only in appearances. The theatrical convention is that the heart expresses itself and communicates itself through gestures and in the body, or through the voice, which is as much of uh, the soul as of the body. The rule of that art insists that everything be magnified and translated into flesh, unquote. Kendrick Lamar is a way of appearance and translating thoughts into flesh. How he stands, moves, and sounds are decisions made precisely to present character through performance. For SNL, his eyes, hair, voice, and body language were costumes no different from his acting debut on season 5 of 50 Cent's Power. On Star's television series, Kendrick plays Lacey's homeless, quirky, drug abuser... Who falls into a murderous scheme with fifty cents character Kane and Stark. I didn't even know it was Stark. Kanan Stark. <sighs> That's such a pretentious name. <laughs> Kanan was a good name, like I was like called Kanan, but Stark Eh nah, not a fan of that. Anyway. Uh, skipping a couple of paragraphs. Uh, Kendrick Lamar is the rapper for Hollywood. He has the ability to, as Camus calls, slip into an uh, imaginary form and transfuses blood into the phantoms. Oh, oh that's a bar. Ugh. Come on, Camus. Delivering the heat. Anyway, uh, if NBC could cast Will Smith for the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air for the charisma uh, he brought to the music videos and live performances, Kendrick's realer visuals show the same, if not more, potential. Imagine if Kendrick's God Is Gangster music video was a short film directed by David Lynch, or if the music video for All Right was a feature film directed by Spike Lee. As someone who placed rappers on the big screen in the 90s, imagine the kind of magic Kendrick could have made with the late John Singleton. If Singleton told Tupac to quit rapping to act, what would he tell Kendrick as we turn the page on 2019? Kendrick Lamar may not be an actor by trade, but cinema exists in the language of his discography. In the open of his twenty ten music video for Ignorance is Bliss, the subtitles read Based on a True Story, written by Kendrick Lamar. On the cover of his major on the cover of his major label debut Good Kid City, his handwriting reads A Short Film by Kendrick Lamar. To begin the music video for his twenty fifteen single These Walls, the opening screen reads Behind the Walls, A Black Comedy. During the twenty eighteen Grammys, after performing the second verse of XXX, A damn selection featuring u two an on-screen projector reads, this is a satire by Kendrick Lamar. I'm not saying Kendrick Lamar is bound to be the greatest actor of our time, but ever since that perfect high 5 of schoolboy Q, the rap superstar has been building himself into a budding auteur. Hollywood has been good to me, Kendrick said in his 2013 Cypherverse. Now, uh, are we new, enter a new decade? As we new enter a new decade, uh, it's time for him to be good to Hollywood. And I completely agree with this. Um, like I said, you know, with everything, especially the music videos. And like the music videos just tear it for me. I'm just like, this is art. <laughs> this is this is a, this is an absolute, absolute piece of art right here. Like every one of them, especially Element. Um, I watched a video essay on Element and uh, how it uh, mixes between. It uh, takes inspiration from two people. I know the first one's is Gordon Parks, um, the uh, legendary uh, black film photo- uh, black photographer. Um, back in the day and uh i think like a uh, a scandinavian filmmaker who did like some short film motifs um and it, it basically just combines them both together him and day three and they're just they're just amazing they're just amazing to look at uh, and amazing recreations of amazing pieces of photography and, uh, and and film um i can definitely believe that he can do a short film you know I, i've i've thought in my mind that uh, Cookie Mac City can easily be made Into like a uh, Into like a, a limited series Or something like that Um, I've, And that's just me As a writer I just see it and I'm just like This is perfect, this is amazing songwriting This could easily be made into like a Limited series for like HBO or something It really could, I could, I truly believe that Um, So What I'm saying is Kendrick If you ever want to do that I've got a uh, got, Got my, got my, got my, uh, got my card here. My little business card holding it right now. Just going to pass it on to you. Hit me up in the DMs. Let's get some writing done. That'll be, that'll be great. (laughs) Imagine if that. Jesus Christ. So we move on to life. And uh, with the election coming down, the UK general election coming down uh, next week... Uh, I wanted to get into some want to get some like uh tips i guess uh some some interesting tips because I didn't really know about these kind of things and I've always been skeptical um especially in recent years about obviously the um how the internet is used in terms of election election stuff uh and you know how um obviously the u s election from a couple of years ago have just completely rattled everybody in terms of you know the internet is a big, 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 big influence. And you know, Obama was the first person to kind of utilize that in terms of using social media to help create his campaign and to be honest, you know, if we're being real, Obama really um what's the word? Uh not gained his presidency off the back of social media, but it was a genuine help. It was a genuine help, especially to get young voters and connect to young voters. I think that was that's very true. And Donald Trump did exactly the same, just in a very backwards way. Um, and I think it's it's, uh, important to realise that there are certain tactics that politicians use in terms of trying to get your attention, get your vote, and all of that, Um, and and influence you. Um, It's not just memes, but it's just um, in terms of official advertising and stuff like that. But anyway, we're going to get into all of that. Um, So this is uh, from James Ball uh, from The Guardian. Uh, This is uh, from google jacking to dead scrolls the online tricks of electioneering so let's get into it uh so the first one's google jacking this this simple trick has been used as standard by most major parties for several elections now but but seems to be attracting anger this time around this simple trick this is a simple trick of say the conservative party bidding for adverts when the voters type labor or labor manifesto into google This gets them a slot at the top of Google results that some users may not notice is an advert. Parties can also target these by uh, by area and basic demographics to try and advertise most heavily in marginal constituencies and with uh, likely floating voters. The Conservatives have been most aggressive with this tactic this year, registering registering LabourManifesto.co.uk for an attack site promoted against Labour search terms provoking a large Twitter backlash. Though the party claim, can can claim the tactic is allowed and the advert shows who is promoting it. This is not one over many of its critics. Given that the party's uh, Twitter account faked the appearance of a neutral fact-checker during the leaders' debate, uh, it's unsurprising that they don't get the benefit of the doubt. Okay, so next one is uh, the dead squirrel strategy. This tactic is uh, one used by passionate supporters of a party, usually Labour, rather than parties themselves which sensibly stay well away from it Uh, the trip begins begins with extremely online quote-unquote party supporters uh, creating a quote-unquote fake news meme with some ridiculous claim about a politician then circulating it with a sense of faux outrage among a group of people in on the joke the catcher of the memes such as uh, a claim that lib dem leader joe swinson enjoys murdering squirrels with a catapult eventually catch on with regular internet users who believe the story, are outraged by it, and share it. When this goes really well, it leads the journalists unable to ignore a good viral story, asking the politician about it. And if the politician really screws up, then they deny the viral uh, viral claim and send it through the mainstream too. Who knows if it wins any votes, but it's certainly an effective wind-up. And, you know, it kind of stops there in terms of, like, dumb shit. Obviously, Joe Swinston does not kill squirrels with catapults, but you can easily just massage that and just make some. If you made it a little, just a little bit more, you know, believable, it's just like any other rumor. It's it's any other. It's like any other rumor. You know, aliens exist, stuff like that. You know, I saw a UFO, stuff like that. You know, it's just it it become it 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 drifts into conspiracy theory. And you know we've 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 seen how memes can spread just like that, you know, in a space of a day, a meme can just be something in somebody's dude's bedroom, and then it's just like all over the world, all over your Twitter timeline, all over your Facebook, Instagram, whatever timeline, all over it. How many SpongeBob memes have come through in the past couple of years? Tons, tons, and they're all different as well. You think they can't do that with uh, political ads? Well, well, political, um, political rumors. It's the same thing. It's just that SpongeBob memes are funny. Political memes get people angry. <laughs> That's completely different. Anyway, so the next one is creative charting. Never heard of this one. Uh, one of the easiest ways to spot a true political nerd is to ask them their feelings on liberal Dem- Democrat bar charts. Any real nerd will have a uh, will have very strong opinions on them and probably a few particular favorites. Liberal Democrats know that they do much better when voters believe they have a viable chance of winning in a particular seat. A reasonable intuition that has been backed by numerous specific polls. That means convincing voters that the party has a viable chance in their seat as a major is a major hurdle for the Lib Dems in a way that isn't that it isn't for Labour or the Tories. As a result, Liberal Democrats will use almost any data to give the result they want. Sometimes using EU election results or even partial local council result, results results uh, rather than the previous general election to try and paint the picture they want. Even if these don't work, uh, the party has been known to meddle with the relative heights of the bar charts to get the result they want. Amazingly, this breaks no rules whatsoever. And I, I find that kind of fascinating because, you know, obviously that kind of gives way to an opinion that some people might give that, you know, our election system is broken, maybe? You know, because I would, um, I would genuinely consider, you know, people like the Green Party or people like the Liberal Democrats, whatever, I would happily consider them if I knew they, you know, if, the, if I knew the seat was there, or if the seat was possible. But most of the time, and I'm not talking about my constituency specifically, I don't really know, but, um, well, I do know. But I'm talking I'm just talking about overall. If you if you if you pick a if you pick a county and you, and you know you, and it's a Lib Dem stronghold, then you have no problem. But obviously Labour and Conservatives always get the seats, majority of them. So um it's just a matter of um I don't know, it's just, you have to you have to use something and obviously using data and maybe massaging them a little bit, you know, maybe. Who who knows? Allegedly. Um yeah, I can, I can completely see why why they do it. I mean, I'm not saying it's a good thing, but it's something. And I guess it more, I, I think that opens it to a more wider conversation, like I said, in terms of how elections are done. Because, you know, obviously there was a... You know, the UK, UKIP a few years ago didn't have any seats, even though they had, like, mad votes or mad percentage of the overall vote uh, voting uh, population. And it can be the same on... It could it could be the same on the other side as well. So um, yeah, but anyway, uh, the next one is the BBC won't tell you. Sounds interesting. Uh, the quickest way to get anything to go viral across Labour Twitter and Facebook groups is to claim that the BBC isn't reporting a particular story, or even better, has worked to deliberately distort it to favour the Conservatives. Sometimes this is done entirely entirely cynically. Momentum's Twitter account claimed the BBC had uh, deleted a damaging video video of Pretty Patel, and left the post up, attracting thousands of retweets. Long after it was noted that it had been briefly deleted and reposted to fix a typo, others clearly believe the BBC is up to no good. Claims that the corporation deliberately, uh, core plantation ha, <laughs> uh, deliberately altered footage of Boris Johnson laying a wreath went viral as did another edited clip, apparently muting audience reaction. The public broadcaster certainly isn't above criticism, but for anyone wanting to get a message out, it also doubles as the perfect punch bag. Um So they have more here, like, um, fake the figures, which you can obviously guess, you know, 350 million a week, all that kind of garbage. And that's just more about you having to, you know, fact check by yourself. Be independent on that front and just go like, Really, excuse me. Really, three hundred fifty uh, million a week. Hmm. Let me let me go look some stuff up on that. Let me look up some independent reports on that. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's just a matter of just you having to look it up. And they also have uh, something like uh, one called uh Unskew the Polls here as well. Um. So yeah, that's that's my that's the main of them. That's the main uh, bulk of them. And uh, I just wanted to lash that because. I don't. I don't really know the age of my audience, to be honest. But I feel like it's always something that's worth noting. And um, the internet is obviously the biggest platform, the biggest battleground. It's probably bigger than TV these days. Obviously, most people not my age, above my age, um, boomers, <laughs> um, they obviously watch. Uh, you know, they obviously watch TV, and that's all they have to go on. Hence, why th- there's so many debates about uh, TV debates that's the only time you get it, and also newspapers as well, maybe radio, um, but yeah, the internet for most people is the, is the main ground to get news these days, and if people can easily, you know, fake figures and do all that kind of stuff, you can't help but be vigilant, I don't want to say paranoid, but you have to be vigilant at least, um, if you want to be paranoid, go be paranoid, but, (laughs) but paranoid is not healthy, um, just, just, do your, just do your team Do your research And you should be okay And the last one uh, The last topic of, th- of this episode Is film and TV And it's the first ever I'm um, sorry I've, 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 I haven't done this before But it's the first ever video piece of content I'm actually going to put on here On this particular show because I found it very fascinating, and uh, it was, I was kind of struggling f- to find stuff, to be honest. And I was watching that, and I was like, you know what? This, 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 uh, this adds to my point on uh, how, um, of, on how the film, film and TV landscape is going right now. So, um, it's by um, Just Right or Sage Hyden, I think that's his name, um, on YouTube, and um, it's called a Disney Monopoly is a problem. According to, according to Disney Recess. So he basically talks about Recess and also the show community and uh, how they're both the same, which is actually kind of fascinating. But um, it's more about Recess and their and particular episodes on capitalism and monopoly. Um, so obviously from previous episodes, I've talked about, you know, the streaming wars, which has already begun. And I'm starting to see As for Britbox, um, Obviously, Netflix and Amazon Prime are all the all the rage over here in the US. All of them are being released. Obviously, Disney Plus is dominating right now, talking about the fucking Mandalorian and Baby Yoda all the fucking time. That's all I'm seeing. Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda, Baby Yoda. Don't care. Don't care. Just don't care about Baby Yoda, okay? Is the show good? No. Apparently, it isn't. Most, most of the people just say it's, you know, all right. But it's not, it's not, you know, mind-blowing. Just people are there for the meme, for the Baby Yoda meme, and also just for merchandising that's why they that's why they create baby yoda let's let's be real let's be real they did baby yoda for marketing purposes but anyway um yeah so obviously in previous episodes i've talked about stream wars i've talked about disney monopoly as well um and this kind of just adds to it and the particular uh show well to get episode he talks about in terms of recess is one where if, if you haven't if you haven't seen recess how do I explain it? Um, so basically, it's like five people. Um, I forget most. Uh, TJ, uh, Gretchen, Gus, Mikey. What's homegirl's name? I forgot homegirl's name. It doesn't matter. But anyway, TJ is kind of like the leader of the group. Um, so you just go, just go by that because it's about TJ. So basically, um, TJ comes 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 to school right, and um, the whole school is. Um, Uh, talking about, uh, the the conversation is about these cards, and how they're being used as currency, do you remember like back in the day when you had like Yu-Gi-Oh's, or Pokemons, and stuff like that, so imagine those, but they're actual currency, so like, I'm gonna pay you, um, I'm gonna pay you a Blue Eyes White Dragon for that sandwich right quick, yeah, stuff like that, you know, it's it's currency, Um, it's capitalism in that way, right, so the whole episode is TJ, who doesn't have these cards, and in that case, working class poor right um he works he like digs holes you know he does odd jobs for people um, and trying to get money but then he thinks but then he thinks about uh he, he tries to think smart and gain the system so what he does is that he goes to a uh, hall monitor obviously that's a thing in america hall monitors um he goes like uh, and he's like standing there basically and he goes okay I'll I will I will stand if I if I stand here for you and you can go do what you want, you give me a piece of your a piece of your earnings, right? And the and the homeowner goes, Cool. Alright, deuces. Take it easy, right? And then what T J does is goes to the first little you, uh that comes through the door and he goes, Hey kid, I will give you two cards, uh to to stand here. And you go and obviously the kid's like, wow, okay, yeah, go go for it, yeah. Nah, nah. Right? So in that case, and I'm not a, I'm not an accountant, but you can see that if TJ does that a few more times, then he's going to be stacking more P, right? The more you do it, the more you diversify, the more P you're going to get as a whole. Right? So long story short, he gets rich um in cards, quote unquote, he gets rich. Um he becomes the richest person in the school. And he actually uh, controls the whole system to the point where the whole school actually changes the currency. And uh, it's now the currency is like another card game that he doesn't have. And now he's back to being poor again. So, this is a, that obviously uh, adds to the overall conversation about Disney. And obviously, recent, um, in this year they bought Fox and uh, obviously had the uh, argument with Sony. And I wanted to talk about the Sony bit for a little bit because I found it, because when, obviously, Spider-Man was taken away from Marvel for a bit, everybody, including me, I'm not I'm observable not in this, um, I'm not outside of this, I was in it. I was going like, Sony, you're being a prick. <laughs> we want a Spider-Man in Marvel. right? It's just, it, creatively, artistically, it's just logical. Sony shit. In terms of doing that kind of stuff, is the stuff they've done with Marvel uh, characters has been pretty mm, garbage. Let's let's be real with ourselves, okay? It's just it's just better logically in Marvel Studios' hands, right? But I didn't zoom out, and we didn't zoom out. Think about it, right? We are we we were in on Disney's side in all of that, right? Disney owns like, uh, 30, I think it's like 35% of all films in the, uh, in the US, something like that, right, the next, the next one is Warner Media, and they own, ha- they own half, they have half the number of the share that Disney has, okay, that's big, that's a lot, so I think for Warner Media, it's like 16.7%, right, Disney has double that, and they 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 swallowed a whole piece of the big six and now it's the big five again. Right? They swallowed a whole one. Okay. So we go to so we're going to like uh Sony, stop being a prick, give it back, then give it back to Marvel, then then It's the they're the rightful owners, dun, whatever you wanted to say in terms of that. Right? But think about it. Think about it. Spider Man was the only only leverage that Sony had over Disney. And over Marvel. But we were just like. Campaigning, campaigning, campaigning for Disney. Disney probably didn't have to do anything. They were just sitting back and like go. uh, Let the Marvel fans. like Create change.org petitions. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's just. um, We were supporting the biggest wig. You know what I mean? It just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. um, About it. And obviously because they bought Fox. uh, In this past year. Now, because they're more powerful, they have more say over what films are showing cinemas. Like, they had, they, they had the ability to strong arm cinemas, uh, cinemas into showing Star Wars The Last Jedi for longer than they usually would agree to. That's a strong arm move, and cinemas can't help. So, what, what are you going to do? You're going to not show Star Wars? Are you mad? Are you trying to lose your business? You know what I mean? So, Disney have a really absurd amount of leverage in a lot of ways. And um, the fact that we, in, in the Sony case, in the Spider-Man case, the fact that we just helped them strong-arm, trust me, they didn't need us. They didn't need us, but we did it anyway. And, uh, yeah, so go watch the video. so it's, it's very entertaining. Um, it reminds me of how Half Decent Recess is. It's actually a really good show. Um, pays a lot of homages to like you know Cool Hand Luke and The Great Escape and uh, other classic films like that and it's just very it's it's just it's very timeless to be honest it's very it's very good it's a very good show um, but yeah so that that particular episode and that uh, and how um, just right Sage was um uh, is it Sage um was talking about it uh, in 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 the video was just a very very interesting way of looking at it and I didn't really think about it until now. Um, even now I've talked about Disney at nauseam uh, in, in in a few episodes this year. But um, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that's been What's Goods. Hope you've enjoyed. Uh, Disney is the overlords, and it's just a matter of time before they put us uh, all to, <laughs> until they control us all. Um, but uh, until until that time, I'm not going on Disney+. Plus. It's not that deep for me, to be honest. Um, I'm cool with Netflix, to be honest. I don't need several. I really don't. Um, I don't, I don't have a job where it, it requires me to do that, I'm not a film critic, I'm not a TV critic, can't be asked, and it's, and, you know, i got, i got Sky, I'm cool, I'm comfy, so yeah, anyway, uh, from the Fifth M Podcast Network, I have been Charlie Taylor and this has been What's Good, Intro Music is Too Much by Vanilla, Interlude music is Vista by Poldor. You can find all their music in their Bandcamp links in the description below. Shout out to Chill Records for your beats use songs. You can also find their Bandcamp uh, link in the description below. And yeah, hope you all have a good week ladies and gentlemen. Happy December. Happy Christmas shopping and all that and all that jazz. But until the next time, take it easy ladies and gentlemen.